you're listening to Everyday Creative People. I'm your host, Dina Adrians, and this podcast is for the doers, dreamers, and makers of the world. For anyone who wishes they had more time and freedom to play, who struggles with creative blocks, or who's trying to figure out how to make a living while making art, I'm here to stumble through the madness by your side. Once you finish listening to today's show, please take a moment to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast. Leave a comment and tell a friend. It will really help me out. You can also join the community over in the Creative Playground Facebook group after the show and find all the show notes at dinaadriance.com slash ecppodcast. Now settle in, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Hey folks, welcome to Everyday Creative People, episode 007. I'm super psyched to be here today with my guest, Eric Harper, who is an award-winning flamenco guitarist and cinematic composer. Hello, Eric. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for Um, having me. I'm really excited to chat with you about your work and your life, and I would love it if you would start us off by telling us a little bit about who you are um, and kind of what kind of role art plays in your life. Okay, well, my name's Eric Harper and I am a professional musician. And how that takes shape and in what form is that I get to write music for TV and film. And I also uh, do the occasional performance. So I'm sort of a dual composer slash performer. And is music something that has always been a part of your life? Like what was the, if there was a particular moment that um, really got a, a, a spark or an interest, what would that be for you? Yeah, so I guess that's two parts. I would say it's always been a part of my life because my mother uh, is a concert pianist and we didn't have your traditional couch and television set in the living room. We had her forte piano, her concert grand and her harpsichord in the living room. Wow. <laughs> so I would wake up to her practicing, um, which was quite a delight. One of my favorite memories as a child would be to sit next to her and just watch her hands move. Uh, but it was at the age of seven that I knew I was going to be a musician myself. And so what happened was that there was a song that came on on the radio. And I was in the kitchen doing the dishes and I was completely mesmerized and I stopped what I was doing. I wandered over to the living room and I just stood in front of the stereo system completely transfixed. And I couldn't take my eyes off. And I just remember thinking I wanted to make people feel like that. So that's where it all began. Can you tell me a little bit more about that feeling that you got when you listened to that music? Yeah, I think it was a feeling of pure joy and inspiration. And it's sort of the feeling that I think the real purpose of art, and I'll speak um, more specifically about music being a musician, is that it's designed, its true nature is to inspire human beings to be better versions of themselves. If it's not fulfilling that function, in my personal opinion, this is just my opinion, uh, then it's not fulfilling its true nature. And so from that point forward, I've always wanted to figure out that magical uh, alchemist formula, so to speak, Mm, as as to how to inspire a heart. So... Your mother was also a musician, um, yes. so it sounds like you had some um, 
uh, I imagine that you grew up in, in a fairly supportive environment for sort of your artistic, your own artistic pursuits. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mom signed us kids up to piano lessons, which for me lasted three months. And then that turned, <laughs> into, that turned into drum lessons. And uh, when I was 12, I discovered the guitar, which is why I really fell in love. And that turned from uh, everything was just about the guitar. I would be, uh, I'd play five, six hours a day. My brother recounts that he uh, would notice he'd wake up in the morning and I'd be playing guitar and he would come home in the evening and I was still playing guitar. <laughs> Never moved from your spot. <laughs> no, it's definitely a love relationship. Yeah, that's awesome. So can you tell me a little bit about um, the kind of music that you most love to create? Uh, it's sort of hybrid mixtures. I love taking different styles and putting them together. I think that's sort of the... I don't know, I find that's sort of the standard in today's day and age is that we have access to all the cultures in the world. And because of that access through the internet and other mediums is that we're able to take Japanese no theater and mix it with an Irish jig. We're able to take a Western Ghana African drum rhythm and mix it in heavy metal. We're able to do all these things. So, I mean, I'm trained as a classical guitar player and I studied with some of the gypsies in Spain and, and now I live in Canada. And um, I mix classical music and flamenco and rock that I grew up with in the States and just sort of everything that sort of comes my way. And then as a film composer, it's sort of my job to listen to any style and figure out its formula to re, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, to recreate that style. Hmm. So speaking of your job, I'm really curious, um, you know, I think something that often comes up with artistic people is this question of do I pursue my art as a, a, a means of making a living or is it something that I hold purely on the side and I have my nine to five that sustains me financially or is there some kind of mix in the middle? And I think that everybody has sort of a different formula that works for them. But I'm curious to hear from you as, as somebody who is making a full-time living through your art form in one form or another, um, how does that work for you in terms of artistic inspiration, in terms of, uh, you know, having the space to do your own work, the energy to do your own work, in addition to the work that you're, uh, you know, doing more for, you know, specific sort of paid purposes. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that's always a very, very good and profound question is the money versus art question. Uh, so many of us artists are, um, hesitant to bring money into the equation because we have this sort of pre-judgment that money is going to spoil our art. And in many instances, it can if you let it. Um, it really depends on your threshold. It depends on your fulfillment level, in my opinion. So what I mean by that is if you're okay having a, a general nine-to-five job and then do your art after you get home and that fulfills you, then that's enough. However, if you're the artist that needs to earn a livelihood by your calling, then you need to find a way to do that. Hmm. Now, that being said, it's a combination of the individual's efforts combined with the environment. It's one thing to be able to say that you want to be a film composer, say, for example, in, in Portugal. Mm -hmm. The thing about the Portuguese culture is they only have an environment that supports teachers. So if you want to go to music school and become a teacher, then there's, a, there's an environment that's set up for that. But if you want to grow up and become uh, the next uh, 
Shania Twain or Celine Dion or whoever, there's not a big environment that will support that existence. Mm. So you need to be very clear what environment you're in that will support your creative expression. Um, to become a doctor in the Western society is very easy because there's steps that you can follow and it leads straight to there. You go to medical school, you do your residency, and then you get into a hospital and you have a job waiting for you, more or less. And so that's a very clear example of an environment that supports the profession. The difficult thing about the West is it doesn't necessarily support the arts. And it does, but it doesn't. Everybody wants music, but nobody wants to pay for music. So it's this weird dichotomy that you're in. So it really comes back to A, the individual's efforts, B, their contentment level. So I was not content working a nine to five job. I've tried that in the past and I was very unfulfilled. I was very unhappy. And I knew nothing would make me happier until I was able to earn a livelihood by my calling, which is music. And I'd been struggling with that for years and years and years. And honestly, I could only say that this year in 2017 has really been the breakthrough, has been that thing mm. uh, that tips the, the boulder over, so to speak. So it's, what did that journey look like for you to get here to this place that you're in now? Financially, it's been making, uh, like, honestly, anywhere between $17,000 a year as high as $40,000 a year. And that's mm -hmm. gross, 17 being net. Mm -hmm. That's a very low amount of money to be making. So it's, it's cost me a lot of things, honestly. In, in all honesty, it's costed me two marriages. It's costed me, it's costed me a lot of things. And my, my sort of stubbornness of who I am and my identity, that I know I'm a musician, that I know I have this thing in me that has to be expressed and it needs to be monetized through music, has come with a price, to be honest. And I've honestly been willing to pay that price because it, it's, I'm very clear on what my destiny is, hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. Have you always been clear on what your destiny was? Always. Always. Since that moment when you were seven? Since I was seven. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Hmm. That's uh, really a gift for you to be that, to have that clarity. And it can a be a curse. people don't have that. <laughs> a gift yes. and a curse, for sure. It can, yeah. it can be both things. Yeah, the, the curse level would be that I couldn't just get a job anywhere because I knew it wasn't in alignment with my destiny or my mm -hmm. calling, that's perhaps a better word. Yeah. Um, so it made me very stubborn. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so um, on a relationship level, it's going to be very clear that I would need to choose a partner that is understanding completely of what that means. So... In terms of, um, so you've shared sort of, you know, the, what you've been making financially over the years um, and, and the range that that has, of, of what that's looked like. What kinds of things have you pursued um, in terms of, like, what are the things that are currently, how do I phrase this? Uh, so right now, your income is coming from the um, composing for film, as well as doing your own personal music. Correct. And those are sort of the two main sources And that. This year, there's been a shift in terms of the, the level of income that yeah. that's really brought in, yeah? So, okay. so prior to this time, you know, how were you working, how, how long have you been working in the film industry? And actually, how did you get into that? It's a good question. Um, so I studied film scoring in, in college. Okay. With, without the 
actual intent of becoming a film composer. Mm. I took film scoring because I wanted to improve my composition skills. But somehow rumor got out that I had this uh, degree in film scoring. So somebody asked me if I'd be interested in scoring their friend's short film. Well, no, they're, they're a feature. And I was like, well, I don't know. Let me, let me take a look at his work and I'll think about it. And I saw his work and I, I was blown away by his, his prodigy. And I jumped on board and uh, quickly learned. I didn't know how to score movies, even though I was trained in it. Uh, but learned a lot in the, the process of working on his film. And reputation it was just kind of slow there that was back in 2004 and nothing really came back my way till about 2009 i never really went after it mm -hmm. and uh, things just sort of started popping up and piling up on my doorstep so to speak uh what i did started doing is is i used to live in los angeles and there's of course a lot of tv and film people there sure and i'd be playing a lot in restaurants and cafes and bars and people would see me play and ask me to come compose for them. Hmm. And that's how I got into TV. I was working for a gentleman named David Danacor, who was one of uh, perhaps LA's top reality TV composers. And he didn't even ask me to come uh, compose for him. He asked me to teach him guitar. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so I, I was his guitar teacher for just a split second and for his son as well. And then he found out that I composed as well and asked me to come be one of his composers. Hmm. And uh, he, yeah, it's kind of sort of spiled from there. And then another uh, music licensing house heard me and asked me to compose. And that started bringing in residual income on a very low level. I mean, I'm talking pennies here. But you could kind of see the potential. So I started writing more fiercely for um, music licensing, which is essentially I write a song, I give it to a third party company, <clears throat> and then they try to get it placed on TV and film, video games, whatever. Mm -hmm. If it gets picked up, we split the proceeds 50-50. Okay. Um, but then there's consistent residual income from that. So I've managed to get 300, over 380 TV shows that way. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a good growth and a good, um, something that looks cool on my resume, I guess. <laughs> and while you were making pennies uh, with that music, what else were you doing? I mean, I've done everything. I've so, uh, taught guitar for 15 years. I've um, tried my hand at, obviously, the film and TV composing things, the one that's kind of stuck, but looking for online ways to make money through marketing my music online, to touring, to creating CDs. Mm. I've done just about everything you can do in music with the exception of uh, sound engineering. Yeah. Uh, mm. I've produced other people's albums, which honestly, I think I'm terrible. Uh, <laughs> Um, just about you gotta anything. know your strengths. <laughs> you gotta know your strengths. I don't have an ear for sound like uh, some people. But yeah, I've, I've just about anything you can sort of think of. I've tried busking. I've tried it all. And the things mm -hmm. that sort of stuck are the composition and the performing. Mm -hmm. So I can I can now today make as little as I don't know about thirty thousand dollars per film score, um, mm -hmm. and then I can go on tour for a month and earn eighteen thousand uh, dollars with a thirteen thousand dollar net. Wow. So those are the numbers now compared to what I used to make, yeah. which was struggling to make. <laughs> it is a game changer because before I'd be struggling to make $2,000 a month and combining you know, students and, and a bunch of other, just, you, you're just pretty much, you're, you're constantly in survival mode. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. something happens in survival mode, you don't really get a chance to create your best art on one level because you're too busy thinking about how can I pay the bills. So yeah. what happens in that level as an artist is all you think about is money. And not because you love money, but because mm -hmm. you have to pay rent and you got to pay yeah. your cell phone bill and so on and so forth. So all yeah. you ever think about 
is music that makes money to pay your bills. So eventually you can do the music you want. Mm. So how do you, how do you get out of that mindset or do you get out of that mindset? That's a very good question. I mean, I'm just now pulling out. This is my first year where yeah. I can actually start from a different precipice. I'm not in survival mode anymore. So mm. from this level, I can look forward and go, oh, wow, there's a whole other world that opens up when, you're, when your finances are taken care of. Because they say that money can't buy happiness, but, they, but it actually can to a point, and that's $75,000 a year. Yeah. <laughs> Anything above that, they've discovered, doesn't really add to your happiness. Right. Anything below that actually works towards your sadness and depression. Because mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're not paying your bills, you are not living a happier life. Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. So do you have um, a particular sort of routine that you follow that helps support your creative work? Or, you know, what, is it, what are the things that you do to... to help you to tap into your creativity? When I was, um, that's a good question. I don't really have a particular routine, but if, um, if I'm working on a film, I just work on the film. If I'm uh, in a low, a low and there's no film, then I work on music licensing. And then uh, from time to time, I'll go out and perform a show. Yeah. So I think it was David Vanacore who kind of changed the game for me. And when he hired me to come perform or compose for him, he said, I want you to write three songs a day. They have to be a minute to a minute and a half each. Don't think about it. Just write. And that scared the daylights out of me. Because I was one I of these guys who, who every note mattered and every chord had to be the best chord and every song had to be the best song. And that was actually hindrance to getting the best song. Mm. Um, so what ended up happening is David Vanacore allowed me to just let go of all that and just write, 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 write. So I discovered that I could write three songs in a day, have it mixed and mastered and sent off. They weren't great, not at the beginning, but it actually ended up becoming a sense of practice. And through the practicing and the practicing, and, and I was getting paid to practice, which was even better. Yeah, that's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, so through that, I actually ended up seeing that the more I cared about a song, the harder it was to finish it. So now in the film industry, I've kind of garnered this sort of reputation as somebody who works very quickly and can deliver results very fast. I'm sure that's gone a long way to help your success. <laughs> yeah, these, these film guys are always in a hurry to get stuff done. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. What else is going on in your life? How, how does art fit into and feed the rest of your life? I mean, it, it's, it's interesting because I'd love to be around a lot more art. Uh, I live in Victoria, British Columbia, which is, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful cities on earth. Mm. Um, and I get to be surrounded by beautiful architecture, beautiful nature. It's just everywhere. I love picking up a great novel. I love walking to a museum. Um, honestly, art is... Like I said before, it, it's design and purpose is to inspire the heart. And, mm -hmm. and for me, if I'm not feeling inspired, then art's the place I can go. In terms of sitting down at the page to create or in terms of seeking out other people's art to take in or a combination of both, what does that look like for you? Can you rephrase that? Yeah, you said art is the place that I can go. So I'm just curious about more, what does that look like for you to go to art? Does that mean 
Yeah, now I'm losing my question. <laughs> I'm forgetting what it was that sparked that. Let's see. Uh, let's 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 move in a different direction. So apart from this question of of finances of yeah. money, right? What would you say has been your biggest struggle as an artist? Um, that's a good question. I've wanted to quit this profession so many times. Hmm. Honestly, it's been financial. It really has been. Uh, the finances, it's a very sneaky thing because it'll turn you into somebody you're not. Because in the level of scarcity, when you're starving and you're trying to pay the bills, mm -hmm. you will do whatever you can to pay the bills so that you can do your art. Uh, not everybody's like that, but I noticed that behavior coming out in me. Mm -hmm. So sort of twisting myself into a, yeah, you want me to do dubstep? Let's do it. You want me to do EDM? And not that I have anything against those styles, but it, that's not a reflection of my identity. Sure. You know, and finding constantly, yeah, if you want me to write a song like uh, Blink-182, if you want me to write a song like Maroon 5, no problem, I can do it because I was that chameleon. And mm. so the greatest struggle was losing myself in that process to pay the bills. And if anything, what's funny about that is it's actually been myself that's gotten me out of that dilemma. It's been being truer to my nature. So I, I sort of have this sort of, my style as a performer is the Gypsy Kings meets Dave Matthews type of sound. Okay. So I, I was born in the States, but I was raised in Portugal. And that combination of the classical guitar with mm. sort of the rock elements is sort of my sound. And interestingly enough, the more I was myself, the more income would be a symptom of being myself. Mm. Whereas the more I tried to bend myself over into a pretzel to please a client, uh, yeah. the less money I would bring in and I would actually end up dealing with more picky people uh, just because it was just, the whole situation turned into just not a very fun environment. So what does that look like for you on a practical level to, to not bend yourself like a pretzel in order to please a client, right? Like, does that look like refusing certain clients? Does it look like holding your ground in terms of what you think a particular product should, should be? Um, what does that look like? That's a good question. Like, you can either look at it, I mean, several ways. One way is to say, no, I'm not going to do those things. I'm not going to work with those people because I have to be true to myself. And there's, there's truth to that and there's strength. However, there's also a reality of paying the bills. So let's go right. back to this again. Right. Is if I was to shift my perception from I'm going I'm to be true to myself to, well, actually, this is a chance to learn and, and grow and develop. And I get paid for it. So I'm getting paid to learn. Okay. Then I'm not losing myself. Mm. Hmm. I'm simply growing. because I love that. The thing that I, that I moved to Portugal when I was 15 years old, my parents packed their bags and shipped this American kid over to a foreign country I'd never heard of. I didn't know the language. I didn't know the culture. I didn't know the food. Mm. I didn't know the people, knew nothing. And I was this typical 15 year old American kid with long hair who loved heavy metal, had a guitar shaped like a V. <laughs> and I was forced into a, a, an environment where I had to learn Portuguese and adapt. And it was very traumatic at the time. But what I discovered after I acclimated and I learned Portuguese and I realized that it only strengthened my identity. It didn't weaken it. So yeah. my, my American heritage didn't go away. My love for my people and America didn't go away. What happened was that it actually increased my love for more people. 
And so in, in, the, in the interim, I went from being basically an American kid with an American idea, identity to being a world citizen. That's awesome. So it's sort of the same thing in the arts. It's not that me doing these projects that have nothing to do with me takes away from my identity, but rather if I was to shift my thinking into this is learning, this is going to teach me something that I can use somewhere in my identity mm -hmm. type music. So the hundreds of songs I've done for music licensing, very little have been close to my style. But in the process of doing that, I've learned so much about mixing, mastering, how to record properly, that now when I go to do my own music, it's so much easier, it's so much faster. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Hmm. That's great. Um, what do you do when you get blocked? I don't get blocked anymore. You don't get blocked anymore. I haven't been blocked in years, but that's a good question. Uh, when I would get blocked, I would just fall back on technique. Okay. Yeah. So if I didn't know what to write, let's see, I got my guitar here. <laughs> but I didn't know what to write. Uh, I had no idea what to do. I know that if I go from the one chord to the flat seven, to the three, to the four, which is the most common chord progression on music today, that something can come out of that. Okay. So I'll write a song. I'll see where it goes. I don't really care. This is just a song. So who cares where it goes? <laughs> and so long as I finished it, it would get me unstuck. So I just use technique. I know these chords work. I don't care about it. I'm just going to do this and get it finished. And inevitably, it would unblock me. I love that. What has contributed to you not getting blocked anymore? David Vanacorn. When he yeah. said, write three songs for me a day, that, that, that grew me up as a, as a musician. He made me a mature musician. He kicked my butt. <laughs> it was great. That's awesome. Yeah. Everybody needs that. <laughs> yeah, it's healthy. Yeah. When it's in, when it's in moderation. <laughs> hmm. uh, well, this has been really great. Uh, I just have a few more questions before we wrap up. Mm -hmm. uh, one question is, are there any resources, whether it's, um, you know, books or podcasts or uh, websites or whatever, wherever else you turn for, for information. Are there any resources that you find helpful in inspiring you, in, you know, giving you new information and helping you to figure out where to go next that you might recommend to our audience? Yes, the, that's two parts. I would say the first part is uh, be the Majnoon in love with Laylee. I don't know if you know these two characters or not. I do, but our audience might not. <laughs> right, so they're the original Romeo and Juliet, dating back to about 680. So Majnoon, the way he approached Laylee is there's one story about him and Rumi where he's sifting through the dust and one of his friends comes up to him and says, what are you doing? He says, I'm looking for Laylee. And he says, you're looking for her in the dust? And he says, yes, I look for her everywhere that happily I may find her. And though this might seem crazy to an outsider, it depicts a notion of ardent search, that if you're searching for the truth, look for it everywhere. Everywhere. That being said, if you're really hungry for knowledge, don't limit yourself to anything, any resource. Ask your neighbor, ask mm. your garbage man. 
If you're in music, ask another musician, ask people around you, go to YouTube, go to hitrecord.org, go to reverbnation.com, go to uh, soundcloud.com, go to all of these different resources that can help you. Don't hesitate in your search. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Yeah. And the last question, uh, where can we find you? If people want to come learn more about who you are, um, listen to your music, where can they find you? They can find me at my website, ericharpermusic.com, or they can go to my YouTube channel, which is uh, Eric Harper Music as well. So youtube.com forward slash Eric Harper Music. Facebook page, which is uh, like a desert island. It's terrible. I never update it every time <laughs> I try. It gets very little responses. I think they're all designed to just make me pay for boosting my posts, which sounds ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, that's facebook.com forward slash Eric Harper music. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. And that all of those links will also be in the show notes so that awesome. people can go check them out um, as well as your music. Cool. Thank you so much. It's been lovely chatting with you, Eric. Thank you. It's been a pleasure and a joy. Have a good day. Thank you so much for listening to Everyday Creative People. If you enjoyed today's show, please take a moment to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast, leave a comment, and tell a friend. Drop me a note on Facebook at Dina Adrian's Coaching and join the community over in the Creative Playground Facebook group. I'd love to hear from you. See you again next Monday. Same bat time, same bat channel.